Well, this morning we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew. And as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, thanks, kids. You knew what to do. (laughs) We come to a part of the Sermon on the Mount that is probably the most often quoted uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, and that is, judge not that you be not judged. Now, the way we often hear this applied is somebody engaged in what they know themselves and what everyone around them with any kind of a moral compass knows is wrong. And yet, when somebody looks at them and says, hey, that's not right, what do you hear? Judge not that you be not judged. (laughs) When we look at the perspective that many people have of Christianity, it is a perspective that we are judgmental that we look down our noses at people, that we are constantly fault finders and finger pointers, and as a result, that's left a sour taste in the mouths of many people when it comes to Christianity. As a matter of fact, when you try to share the gospel, it can be an impediment, that perspective that people have of Christianity. So when we come to this text, I want us to look at it with fresh eyes. There are extremes that we can have in our judging that probably earn us the reputation of being judgmental, but we can also be very wishy-washy when it comes to sin and basically not identify any sin as sin. So those are the extremes, and we want to avoid the extremes. We want to put into practice what Jesus calls us to as his disciples in this passage of Scripture. So let's begin with that first statement that I quoted moments ago. Judge not that you be not judged. What Jesus is talking about in the first couple of verses is an accusatory judgmentalism, and that is always wrong. And what he wants to bring out, first of all, is we answer to a higher authority than us. When we look at God, we recognize that He has the moral authority and authority as Creator and as God to judge. When I move into His role of judging, I have usurped the position that God alone has, and I need to be careful of that. James reminds us of the following. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is the one able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So here, the Word of God in a couple of places warns us about this idea of judgmentalism. So where does that leave us? When I see somebody who has committed murder, and they have admitted to committing murder. Am I being judgmental when I say to that person, hey, you sinned by committing murder? And I would say to you, no. Why? God has already judged that. God has revealed in His Word very clearly that murder is sin. I'm not judging. I'm applying the Word of God to a specific situation 
And God has already determined that murder is sin. You see, where judging starts to get off track are in two areas, and that's what we're going to look into as we look into this verse. Number one, it's our attitude that we have in judging. And then number two, it's when we apply arbitrary standards not revealed in God's Word and make that a matter of judging other people, be they Christian or non-Christian. And so that's what we have to be careful of. Now let's look at the first one, and that is our attitude. Bear in mind, as Jesus is sharing the Sermon on the Mount, He's speaking to His disciples. But we've been going through a section where Jesus has been addressing the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious sect within Judaism that came up with loads of laws that they applied to everyone else, not revealed in God's Word, but something that they had come up with either by committee or individually, and they judged everyone else in light of that. And when the Pharisees would judge, they would judge in a way that was condescending. They had a serious pride problem. And as a result, they deemed themselves superior to everyone else, And when they would pass judgment on people, they had this air of superiority, this idea that I alone am spiritual and you're not. And that came across crystal clear to Jesus, to his disciples, and to many people within Judaism. They were people who were judging inappropriately. What we find is this. God alone is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong, and He does a very good job in His Word of laying that out for us. But when I go outside the Word and I come up with a standard or an idea that is my own or an application that isn't directly reflected in the Word of God, I've stepped over, I've crossed over into the area of judging, and I am wrong. And what Jesus is warning us about in this passage of Scripture is this. Look, if you're going to be harsh, if you're going to be proud, if you're going to be a stickler for everything, then as we'll see, God's going to apply that same standard to you. How do you like that? That's the impression that we get from this passage of Scripture. Now, is it wrong to point out sin in an erring brother. And I would submit to you that the Scripture teaches absolutely not. Galatians reminds us, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, do you see the difference? Pharisee, you're wrong, you're rotten, Crawl off somewhere and die. There's a superior attitude. I'm always right. You're always wrong. It's a power play so that they can be in charge and make the rules and shame people into following their rules or intimidate them into following their rules. That's wrong. That is not from God. That is from the flesh. And we need to be careful of it. But there's another way of approaching sin. And that is to lovingly, gently, kindly go to a brother in sin with concern. And rather than having a holier-than-thou attitude, 
Come to them and say, hey, I struggled too. Let's work through this together. That's one of the things I appreciate about the 33 series that we were talking about just a little while ago. It gives men a forum to do that with one another in accountability relationships. This is the way that we are to approach sin. Jesus is not forbidding talking about sin when he's calling us not to judge. He is talking about that attitude that the Pharisees evidenced of superiority where they were coming in and they were saying, I know everything, you know nothing. I am always right, you are always wrong. That kind of attitude is judgmentalism that God rejects. Another way that we judge wrongly. Something the Pharisees did was they took 632 laws that God had given and they attached to them volumes of interpretation as to what God means when He says something. They added arbitrary rules that they made up and they stuck those on the people of Israel. And as a result, the people of Israel were under the load of the Pharisees. Later, when we get into the 23rd chapter of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus describe the load that the Pharisees laid on the people of Israel. And they did it because, once again, it gave them power. It gave them significance. It gave them a role in the community to where they could crush people and cause them to do as they say. When Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, what he's sharing with us is, yes, it is God who makes the rules, but it's also sharing with us, no, you are not in charge, God is. And you have no role in establishing what is right and wrong outside of God's Word. And we need to be careful of that. The book of Romans, the Apostle Paul was talking to the church of the Romans about the issue of food sacrificed to idols. It was a big issue in the first century as to whether a Christian should eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol or not. And there was debate within the early church and those who were eating the food that had been sacrificed to idols saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with this food. There's no such thing as a real idol. They're just a hunk of rock or a hunk of stone and, and, and wood and, and whatever. Why worry about it? I'm going to get the food and I'll eat it. But there are others within the church who had perhaps offered food to idols and they looked at it and they said, no, nah, this, this is not right. I can't do that. I can't do it with a clear conscience. And, and that's fine for each person to set their own standard in each of these things. Here's where it comes into a problem. When I apply my standards to somebody else that aren't directly addressed in the Word of God, I have crossed over into judging. God is the one creator, God, who has the right and the authority to establish those standards. So that's why Paul said to the Romans, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you spy, despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Is I'm judging other people. Guess what? I'm going to be judged by God for the way that I've judged other people. And if that judgment is all about me so that I can look more holy, if that judgment is all about gaining power and authority and position because of the way that I apply it to other people, then I'm going to answer for that to the one who really makes the rules. 
I'm going to answer to God about the way that I use my spiritual liberty. I'm going to answer to God about the decisions that I make as to what I engage in and what I refrain from engaging in. But guess what? I answer to God for my decisions in that, not the decisions of other people. They answer to God for that, not me. And so I have to be careful of that. Paul said this to the Colossians. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You catch what that passage of, saying, uh, of Scripture is saying. It's telling me that I have crossed the line if I'm judging other people by what they choose to eat or what they choose to drink. If I establish my standard and say, this must be the standard, and then I judge other people in light of that standard, I'm transgressing what Jesus says in this passage of Scripture. I'm worshiping a standard rather than God. Now, the passage moves on in the second verse. And really, it shares with us that when it comes to judgment, I want mercy for me, but I want judgment for everybody else. There's a saying that goes something like this. I want to be judged by my best intentions, but when somebody has wronged me, I want them to be judged by their worst actions. That's really the way we approach things so often. We as followers of Jesus Christ should not think in this way. So this is what Jesus says to us in this second verse. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. I need to be careful not to concoct a strict list of standards in my head, not borne out in Scripture, and apply those standards to somebody else. And here's the thing. When I do that, I am not looking to be judged in the same way. Just like when I don't judge other people by my standards, I don't want to be judged by somebody else's standards. Somebody comes to me and starts down a list of things that they've come up with in their own mind or with a really nasty, harsh attitude. Man, it, it offends me. It irritates me. I'm not going to respond to what that person has to say. What Jesus is saying in this text is borne out a little bit later in the seventh chapter, and that's do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. But here it's applied to judging. I shouldn't be that person that crushes other people, that calls them to task with an attitude of superiority and pride. I need to humble myself before Almighty God. And really, this warning that if you judge people in this way, you're going to answer for it before God. That is something that we all need to keep in mind. That very judgment that I give to one of God's servants 
is going to be called to task when I stand before God. Something Paul says in the book of Romans is to his own master, he stands or falls. God is the one who determines that. So we need to be very careful in not applying that to others. Look earlier in chapter 6 at verses 14 and 15. This same principle is in mind when it comes to forgiveness. The Scripture says in verse 14 of chapter 6, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That same principle, the way that I treat other people is applied to me. So if I am harshly judgmental, guess what? I can expect that same to be the direction that I'm going to receive either from other people or from God Himself if this passage of Scripture means anything. We need to be careful of that. We need to avoid that. Look at how Jesus continues to expand this idea. He goes on to say, the measure that you use will be measured to you. Now, often what we do is we can be very strict when it comes to the standards and the measurements that we use for other people. We assume motivations that aren't there. We develop a strict standard. And what I've witnessed in many cases with the Pharisees, but also in some toxic church environments, the culture of intimidation through judgment is what keeps people in line. If I can constantly have people feeling inadequate and looking to me as a leader and saying, wow, they really have it all together, what happens? I have moved into a role that God doesn't want me to occupy. Jesus calls for humble servant leadership, not an intimidating fault-finding, finger-pointing type of leadership. And when people are intimidating and fault-finding and finger-pointing, they're doing harm to the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you that when a person comes with the kind of attitude Jesus is describing in this text of the Pharisees, and we'll see that borne out a little bit more as we progress through this text, they're probably doing more harm than help. They are probably at a place where they are actually causing a person to push back or fall deeper into sin rather than be delivered from it because their work comes from the flesh and not from the Spirit. So that's why Jesus warns us that we fall into a dangerous trap when we become judgmental. Yes, it is right and good for us to look at sin and call sin, sin. Never shy away from addressing what God has said is sin as sin. Never shy away from that. But watch the attitude as you pointed out. And then number two, make sure it's not your personal preference rather than God's revelation that's driving that decision. God wants us to guard ourselves against these things. Now, as we go on through the text, we come to the next part of the passage, verses 3 through 4. 
And what we begin to see in the last part of this passage is this, an awareness of sin should first look within and then look at others. Really what Jesus is saying in verses 1 and 2 is this, have self-awareness, recognize your own sin, then talk to others about their sin. And he really expands on this when we come to verses 3 and 4. Now, this is a familiar passage of Scripture to many of you. You've heard the illustration that Jesus gives perhaps multiple times, but let's take a fresh look at this part of the passage. When Jesus says the following, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Now, this is a a good translation of what Jesus said. And I think what Jesus is saying to us is crystal clear. Can you get that image in your mind? A person who has just that little speck of sawdust in their eye drives you nuts. It's uncomfortable. It's bothersome. Your eye waters, turns red. You pull on your eyelid to try and get it out and hope that somehow it gets washed out, but it's there. And people notice it because of the way you're responding to it. But imagine a log in your eye. Imagine a log coming out of your face, and then you're picking at the person with the speck, saying, you know, I think we should take care of that. That's really bad. That's the image that Jesus gives us. But what he's really talking about is hypocrisy. You see, when I look at other people and I intimidate them, and I have a greater sin in my life that I haven't dealt with, and I'm trying to nitpick on the speck that's in their eyes, there's a problem that I have in my life that's causing that. And you know what the problem is? Pride. When I'm keenly aware of everybody else's problem, but I am completely unaware of my own problem, I have a pride problem. Pride destroys completely self-awareness, the ability to look at ourselves and find where we're wrong. You ever met that person who's never wrong? They drive you nuts. Oh, they're wrong. They just can't see it. In fact, they can't even get the words out of their mouth. I was wrong. I was wrong. They can't do it. It just won't come out. Their pride has blinded them to the fact that they need to look inwardly and find the sin that they need to confess and repent of before they turn to another person to assist them. It's always easier to identify sin in others because that takes our eyes off of our own sin and everyone else's eyes off of it too. Pride drives all of that. And I believe that Jesus in this passage is talking about the log of pride. 
Jesus, excuse me, Solomon said the following in Proverbs. When it comes to pride, he says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes. Look what heads the list, pride. It's that arrogant look, oh, you sinner, right? When we get that look, that mindset, God detests that. He finds it an abomination. So haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. I believe all of those others spring from pride. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture is very clear, that we should not be looking at the specks in everyone else's eye until we take care of that log that's in our own. Look at what he says, as a matter of fact, in the fifth verse. Address your own sin and then help your brother. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite. Now, this is a term that we have seen repeated multiple times through the Sermon on the Mount. And in each context, he's referring to whom? To the Pharisees. The ones who were always holier than thou. The ones who said, I understand everything. You understand nothing. Those were the people who were being addressed by Jesus when he uses this term hypocrite. But I think it can be expanded really to any of us. If we are not what we present ourselves to be, either because we're blind to our own faults because of pride, or because we're being deceptive because I'm holding it back, I don't want anybody to really look at me, so you know what? I'm going to point to everybody else so they'll look at them. Then maybe they won't see what's wrong with me. Both of those motivations are wrong and hypocritical. So what are we to do? Look carefully at this fifth verse. First, take the log out of your own eye. Now, when Jesus talks about taking the log out of our own eye, what does He mean? What He means is this. Repent. Look to God and say, God, before I talk to this brother or this sister about sin, what are the sins in my life that I need to surrender to you? That's the idea. Not coming in and saying, man, I got it all together. What's wrong with you sad sack bunch of people? I know what it is to be godly and spiritual and you don't. That isn't the attitude that we're to approach things with according to the Word of God. I need to pray and seriously search myself and say, is there something that I need to confess and repent of before I ever even entertain the idea of that speck that's in someone else's eye? This is how God wants us to approach things. You know, a number of years ago, there was a leader in the church. They're gone now, so I can use the illustration. <laughs> and we were getting together for some fellowship. And he said to me, Pastor, why can't everyone be like me? 
when it comes to following God. I look around and I see so much sin. So many, so few Christians who really know God and really follow Him. Why can't they be like me? I looked at that person, didn't say it, probably should have. But I thought, dude, do you see how self-righteous you are? And how proud that statement is? They eventually left the church because we weren't godly enough or spiritual enough. And here's the problem. They went to church after church after church in their quest to find that perfect place that was godly enough to meet their standards. And guess what? Never found it. So eventually, they quit going to church altogether because there just wasn't a place good enough for them to find. Heartbreaking. But folks, our first priority is to identify that log. I, I even pray, God, if there's a log in my eye before I go talk to this person about an issue in their life, will you please make it evident? But then when you do go to that person, what's going to happen when you pull a log out of your eye? You're going to have pain and scars and a world of hurt, right? You go to that person that you're talking with about sin in a spirit of brokenness. You know what I've found as a pastor? When I talk to people about a sin issue, and by my job description, that's something I have to do, right? When I go in a spirit of love and gentleness and compassion and care, I have a lot more success than when I go with anger and frustration and a spirit of judgmentalism. God wants us to be that person who pulls that log out of our own eye. And then when we do, we're able to see clearly to adjust that little speck in someone else's. Repentance is the key. Final part of the passage. When we come to verse 6, there are some that would look at this and say, well, how does this fit in with what Jesus has been talking about in judging others? The verse goes like this, do not give dogs what is holy, do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, what Jesus, I believe, is pointing us to is this. I can approach somebody in the right manner about their sin and about their need for forgiveness and about their need to be right with God, right? But not everybody even if I go with the right attitude and the right spirit, I'm getting ready to judge this uh, microphone. Even with the right spirit, as we go to them, right, they're not going to respond. That's true of the gospel. Folks, there are some people you're going to share the gospel with that will never respond. They will turn you down. They will reject the message of the gospel. And we have to come to terms with that. There are some Christians that have an area of sin in their life. And even though you go to them lovingly and compassionately and with great care, even though you articulate things beautifully and show them in Scripture where they need to repent, 
They're not ready yet. And here's the thing. I can't make them ready. There are times where I need to just back off and say, I'm releasing them to God. Now, when Jesus talks about dogs and pigs in this passage, we look at it and say, oh, doggies. I love doggies. Some people even have pet pigs. I don't get it. But, you know, that, that little cute pig that they bring home turns into a bulbous blob of, of grossness, you know. That's your thing, whatever. Well, here's what we need to understand. The children of Israel that Jesus is speaking to viewed neither dogs nor pigs in a very positive light. Dogs were varmints that stole food and snapped at you when you were walking down paths because they were wild dogs. and You didn't want to be around them. You wanted to just get them out, throw rocks at them, get them away. Pigs were considered unclean animals. But I think Jesus is driving at something even deeper than that. You see, both dogs and pigs follow their own nature. You bathe a pig, put perfume on it, even as the saying goes, put some lipstick on the pig, right? And what happens? You're walking along and they see a wallow. Off to the wallow. Why? It's in its nature. Pigs do what pigs do, right? Now dogs, and I thought about putting a graphic up on this, but I decided not to, are mentioned in Scripture as well. For instance, in 2 Peter 2.22, it says this, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Gross on both counts, right? But what Peter is saying, and I believe what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture is this. Some are going to behave according to their nature, and they won't change. And you can't change them. I've seen many believing spouses who, out of compassion for their spouse, a desire to see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, have tried to nag them into the kingdom by sharing the gospel again and again and again. They'll take their alphabet soup and spell out John 3.16, you know. <laughs> They'll do anything they can think of to try and shoehorn the gospel into changing the person. And I would submit to you that they do more harm than good if they try to accomplish this by their flesh. You share the gospel. When asked... You share its principles again, but you leave it lay until God opens the door again. That's the way we're to approach it. The same with sin. When someone sins, we lovingly, compassionately go to them, approach them about their sin, and then we say to them, I'm ready to talk further when you're ready to talk. And we back away. God will determine whether they're dogs and pigs that will turn on you and tear you. By the way, Jesus knew what he was talking about because the Pharisees did that very thing to Jesus when he taught truth. He, he was turned on 
and torn apart. But our responsibility as the followers of God, when we share God's truth, is the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God and works on people. I will never nag someone into the kingdom. I will never intimidate someone into the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the more we try to push, the harder their heart can become. And I don't want to be responsible for somebody having a hard heart. So Jesus is telling us to watch out for the way we judge. Don't judge other people with the wrong attitude or with arbitrary standards that you've come up with on your own that you might be able to shoehorn a Scripture into and say, yes, Scripture applies, but it really doesn't. You've just shoehorned it in. Don't judge in that way. Also, be aware of your own sin before you address sin in another person. And then finally, remember this. As we address sin and God's truth, there are going to be some people who just won't receive it. They'll turn on us. They'll tear at us. They'll reject us. God wants us to be people who approach sin, yes, but do so in the manner that God has called us to, humbly, lovingly, always looking to ourselves and understanding that I'm a sinner too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us that we are to live righteous lives We are to address sin where it presents itself, but always with the right attitude, always with the right objective, always in a spirit of love. Teach us to be that kind of person, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.